I'm Kirk Harnack. On This Week in Radio Tech, I'm joined by Tom Ray, Chris Tarr, and Marcus O'Rourke. And we talk about balancing crazy work hours and home life, building radio station studios in Afghanistan, and AM field strength readings. Twerk is up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is This Week in Radio Tech, episode 85, recorded June 1st, 2011, in the field. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Axia Audio and the new Radius IP Audio Console. Feature-rich, affordable IP Audio Consoles from Axia. On the web at axiaaudio.com. And by Trim Tonic. Trim Tonic is a natural appetite suppressant tonic that takes the edge off being hungry. Go to trimtonic.com and use offer code TWIT for 20% off. Hello, it's time for This Week in Radio Tech. I'm Kirk Harnack. I am so glad that you've joined us. I really am, because without you, we wouldn't have any viewers or listeners. Uh, we are live on the twit.tv network right now. You can also get this podcast, as you may have, by downloading it uh, through iTunes or through the uh, twit.tv website. Uh, any number of different ways to, to get it from different uh, RSS feeds and uh, feed burner type services and just all kinds of places. So wherever you find it, we're glad that you did. Hey, you can also pick us up on your Apple TV. I was... Yeah, I was sitting down with the family watching Apple TV the other night, and we just watched about 20 minutes of me. <laughs> and you can also Gosh. find it on yeah, you can also find it on your Roku box. In fact, I need to ask uh, I need to ask uh, Chris Tarr how to do that. So I'm Kirk. I'm the host of the show. I work for the folks at Telos Omni and Axia, who are also sponsors of the show, and we're glad you're here. This we talk about everything uh, that has to do with audio and radio and transmission and you know funky propeller head stuff like that. We try to keep the audio. Headed to the listeners. Radio still the most popular way to uh, hear audio, especially in the car. Joining me tonight on the show, as usual, from the Hudson Valley of New York, it's Tom Ray. Hello, Tom. Greetings and salutations, Kirk. Uh, I'm a VP of Engineering at uh, Buckley Broadcasting, WOR Radio in New York. And based on tonight's topic, it's really good for me because a lot of people say uh, I should be outstanding in a field someplace. <laughs> I'm Tom. I, you're you're kind of like not featured on tonight's show, but I know you'll have plenty of comment because the things that Chris Tarr is talking going to talk about, uh, you've done plenty of. Speaking of Chris oh, Tarr, let's bet. bring him him in from uh, Muckwanago, Wisconsin. Hey, Chris, good to see you. How you doing, Kirk? I'm I'm live. I'm jazzed. I'm excited about the show tonight. Well, it should be a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I did spend some time out in the field. I can't, uh, can't wait to talk about that. That's always fun, especially now that we finally got some nice weather. Uh, I am the Geek Jedi. I'm the Director of Engineering for Intercom's radio stations in Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin. Basically, I'm a wrench. I also uh, do a lot of online stuff, and uh, you can find out all about me at geekjedi.com. All right. Uh, and uh, also, before we end the show, Chris, be sure you mention your uh, your website for engineers to go get information. And speaking of engineers, another one is joining us for the first time on the show, and maybe he'll come back again if we like him enough, uh, from Santa Ana, California. It's Marcus O'Rourke. Hello, Marcus. Hello. Good after evening or whatever it is. <laughs> kind of in that in-between time. 
Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, and uh, you and I have have we met in person? Have we shaken hands at a show or something? We've, uh, I think it was last year. Yeah, yeah. It was real brief, but uh, it was because it was busy. But yes, we've met. Well, I, and I've seen your name uh, around the company I work for, Telos, because you've got some some Telos and Axia gear out there at your place. Tell us about uh, Marcus O'Rourke and what you do. Well, I am the not chief engineer, not director of engineering, but one of the main engineers here for uh, Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, and we own four radio stations, mostly in Southern California, and a satellite feed network that feeds affiliated stations. So I keep busy with that. I do the, uh, uh, what is that? Brain just went on vacation right now. <laughs> um, EAS committee for, for Orange County. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Hey, well, in fact, uh, Marcus, you've got a topic that you're going to be uh, chatting with us about here uh, on the show. In fact, we're going to do your topic here during the the uh, first uh, segment. But I wanted to bring up uh, a, a topical um, uh, thing. Well, let's see, a topical thing, and that is some folks have been asking about this uh, report from the World Health Organization about cell phone uh, RF radiation perhaps uh, causing cancer. Now, you know, for years, years, we have seen one report after another um, Cell phones cause cancer. Cell phones don't cause cancer. Cell phones cause cancer. Cell phones don't cause cancer. And uh, look, we're not experts on health here, but at least I thought we'd, we'd weigh in a little bit uh, about what it is that, that cell phones uh, do that might cause cancer. You know, most folks realize, well, they're putting out some, some energy so they can talk to the tower, right? Um, and maybe we can talk for a minute about, you know, what kind of energy that is and what the level is and, and then that kind of stuff. Uh, Chris Tarr, you're a, you're a guy who's uh, somewhat health conscious, especially in terms of RF. What do you think about this whole issue of cell phones and causing cancer? Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, I have to say there are much, people much smarter than I am that are solving these issues. But, uh, you know, on the surface of it, I'm not a big believer in it. I, I think that, uh, you know, all the years that I've been around various types of RF, um, you know, I think that, I certainly think there's some danger with, with tissue heating and things like that that they've been talking about. But as far as a cancer risk, that seems a little off to me. And, and you know, again, not being a scientist or, or in the medical profession, um, I don't know that I, you know, I, I don't speak from authority here, but my inkling from having been around RF and knowing what it can do, uh, you know, I really, I, I'm not sold that that's, that's really going to be the issue. How about you, Tom? What do you think about cell phones and cancer causing? Well, from what I understand about how, uh, how RF works and such, it causes heating. Um, which, what I've been told, we, you know, we, we've had, I've had several RF uh, safety training classes, and what they said was it causes heating. Now, the heating itself does not cause cancer, but um, it could cause a, uh, a change in the cell where that could eventually mutate. Um, I Personally, I think the risk is rather small. I mean, I've been working around RF for 34 years now and uh, uh, know quite a few engineers who are well up into their 90s who uh, used to climb AM sticks when the transmitter was hot, and I'm talking 50 kilowatts. So um, I don't know. I, I mean, there might be some remote link there, but uh, and, and like Chris, I'm not an expert, but and, and, and you're I can feel about that too. Is this your your uncertainty parallels the uncertainty in the, in the whole medical community, and certainly there's anecdotal 
uh, evidence one way or the other. And usually it's, it's, it's the one way. Usually if there's anecdotal evidence, hey, my, my husband died of cancer. If the cancer was on the left side of his head, he always held his cell phone up to the left side of his head. So, you know, uh, uh, that's, there's correlation, not necessarily causation, but there's correlation. So there's plenty of, uh, um, you know, there's plenty of, of correlation, but uh, it's, well, and I, I guess it's causation we're looking for. And I also think that there's, there's so many factors that play into that. For example, modern cell phones, their power is regulated by the, the base station of, of the cell that you're talking to. So, for example, if most of the time you're right outside a cell phone tower right nearby, you, you know, the power that your, your cell phone is transmitting is very, very little. I mean, it's very little power, milliwatts. So, you know, I, I, I seem to think, you know, there, there are, obviously there are things, I can't think of anything that's perfect for you you know everything is going to you know there, there i couldn't find anything that isn't couldn't cause something so you know there, there's there is something to that as as tom was saying with the physiology going on and the heating and things like that but i think that there are so many things that have to be right for that to happen i guess is, is where i'm getting at this i mean you know yeah if you held the phone up to your your head for hours a day and your phone was transmitting at full power and you didn't move it from side to side and you didn't use a headset and all these different things yeah i, I probably could could cause some problems marcus you do you guys out in california um, use uh use headsets uh you are you use, use cell phones oh oh yeah cell phones <laughs> are a, a very big part of our lives here <laughs> so i've wrecked so what, up what, many many what, minutes what, on my phone What's your take on, on this story? And do you, uh, somebody in the chat room mentioned a headset. I'll take this moment to mention that, you know, the power from any RF source uh, decreases uh, the, it decreases by the square uh, versus distance. So if you move a cell phone, um, you know, uh, some distance away from your head, the power goes down by four. And again, that same distance again by four. So uh, the power can really go down if the cell phone is just a little bit ways away from you. So if you're concerned about that, use a headset, use a Bluetooth. I mean, the power in a Bluetooth headset is nothing. Uh, so, uh, or, or use a wired headset if you want to do that. Um, men, but if you're using a wired headset, where do most men put the cell phone when they're driving? On the seat, between their legs. Not sure I do that. You know, the, there's a cup holder there, or the, or or the, uh, armrest in, in the uh, in the in the door. Use that. I'm sorry, Marcus. Go, go ahead with your thoughts on this subject. No, I I agree. There's um, I find it very interesting that people would say that it's causing cancer, but you know, again, I'm not a doctor, so you know, I haven't done the studies, but I I don't believe that it would cause cancer personally. But that is my personal opinion. Who else is going to jump uh, in there? I uh, somebody. Kirk, um, yeah, the, the, um, many moons ago, I worked in uh, cellular for about a year. And the, these, this was the time when the cell phone was you know, almost shoebox size. And those little portable phones ran at five watts. I, I mean, the, the phones we use today are lucky if you get a half watt out of the thing. So, you know, the power levels are significantly lower. Um, we're also using a different frequency band. The old ones used to be uh, between 800 and 900 megahertz. New ones are uh, up around 1.8 gig, or 1. Point, yeah, 1.8 gig. So, uh, you know, the frequency band is different. The power is a lot lower. Yeah, um, and 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 Chris Tarr is right. There's a lot, a lot of factors going on. Um, Matter of fact, I lived someplace once. Uh, we had a uh, cell tower going up up the street, and and I had uh, I was out of town. I had built a radio station. I came home, and uh, you know I'd been out for a couple of weeks. And I came home, and I said to my wife, "Oh, they're building a cell tower up the street. It's about three quarters of a mile from the house." And she went, "Where?" Um, but the uh, I'm up on the roof cleaning gutters one day, and uh, this guy comes up, and he starts 
yelling about something. I looked down and I said, well, what do you want? I'm cleaning the roof. And he says, well, he says, you know what they're doing up the street? And I said, yeah, they're building a cell tower. He goes, do you know what that's going to do to you? I said, three quarters of a mile away? Probably not a darn thing. It's going to give me better his... cell phone reception is what it's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well his, his, sister, uh, his sister lived in a house near close, very close to the base of the tower. When we moved out of that area, at last I knew she was looking for copper paint to paint her house because she was scared to death of the, of the radiation. It was like, you get more radiation out of your TV, lady, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that is that is so true. And you know, this World Health Organization report also suggested that uh, people, uh, that that schools not have Wi-Fi in the school because of the RF radiation and and the possible link to cancer from from Wi-Fi. Really? Yeah, I think that I think that's just crazy. I think that's insane. I mean, yeah. there's there there's a there's a line between you know, real science and junk science. And that's way over that. That's not only stepped over the line, it went three quarters of a mile down and then took off to the left. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Well, well, we could talk about this all day. We are talking about things that are out in the field, which seems to be the theme of, 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 our, of our episode uh, today. Hey, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, talk to Marcus for a few minutes about what he wanted to, uh, to share with us. And uh, has to do, you know, if you're, hey, if you're working out in the field in radio, I bet you a lot of time goes by. A lot of time goes by when you are working for your employer or if you're a self-employed contract engineer working for yourself. Uh, and that is uh, how to balance uh, all the work you got to do at the radio station uh, versus your home life. And that's something that we really haven't talked about here on, on this show. Um, uh, so, uh, Marcus, come on in and, and tell us your, your thoughts of, about this. Kind of s set up the, the notion. I mean, hey, we're all engineers, and sometimes we got to work crazy, crazy hours. We had calls oh, yeah. in the middle of the night. Um, no, no, maybe, uh, maybe Marcus can, can identify a home life for us. Yeah. <laughs> tell us about that, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, home life. Um, no, it's... Uh, something really, really tough. And, and I've noticed a lot of uh, friends in the industry that I've had and friends in other industries, they'll get so caught up with what they're doing that, you know, their, their wives or their families won't see them maybe for an hour a day. And, you know, what does it get them? Yeah, they're getting a lot more money, but uh, in the long run, you know, their, their kids are missing them. And, you know, I think in the long run, family is a lot more important than, you know, having stuff personally. But well, that's that's that that's easy to say. How do we uh, how do we balance that in a life where, uh, you know, where we have things like medical bills? I mean, uh, gee, I just got yeah. a just just got a bill here from uh, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital for ten thousand dollars. Uh, you know, we all, we, we all, we gotta, we gotta make a dime to, to do these things. And, and I hear what you're saying, but, uh, kind of help us explain, uh, help us understand how you really put that in, into effect. It's, it's tough. Um, sometimes it could be as easy as saying no, but I know at times it's not easy to say that as well because of the bills, but, um, you know, we can push ourselves, we can push ourselves. Um, but if we don't say no, sometimes if we don't say can this wait until tomorrow? You're going to end up on your back in the hospital, you know, yourself needing more medical bills and not able to to pay the bills. Now, um, you, you 
you bring up a good point, actually, because so many engineers, and I'll, I'll bet you I speak for Tom and, and Chris, too, on this subject. We, we, we get a, 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 a charge out of a, a being needed, being needed to solve the problem, and going and solving the problem. And honestly, there's a lot of engineers out there who are pretty darn good at solving problems. And they like to put, they put that to use, kind of like an emergency room doctor or an emergency room nurse. You, you get that adrenaline rush from being needed, solving the problem, being the hero at, at the moment. Um, uh, Tom, Chris, you guys ever suffer from that like I have? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I actually, uh, this past year, uh, I started kind of started to burn out, as you know, between, you know, twerk and writing for Radio Guide and all these radio stations. And I have a lot going on. And, you know, I do a pretty good job of juggling that with having a wife and four kids and all that stuff. But, you know, it does after a while. Uh, Marcus hit it right on the head. It's so hard to say no. You know, when these things come up, you know, I always want to be the guy swooping in and, and uh, you know, fixing all the problems. And finally, last year, got to the point where I, you know, I sat down and I really kind of had to really reassess things and and actually you know my employers are very great about that you know we ended up hiring an IT guy to help me out um, and uh, you know to, to, to give me some assistance on stuff and and I started really delegating things you know because I had these people who could help me out and I kind of just took it on myself because I had the whole well I've been doing it all along I know what to do I'm just easier to do that but it does it takes a lot to delegate and to say, okay, listen, I, I am going to turn the phone off this weekend. I'm not going to take the call. Uh, you know, you guys are on your own. I'm going to have to trust you to do the right thing. And you know, it was very hard to do that to trust these people. Not that they weren't you know, that they couldn't do it, but you know, it was just something that I always did, and it was very hard to let that go. So, uh, you know, sometimes you really need to do that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've, I think now I'm, I've, I've struck a pretty good balance. You know, I still carry the phone around with me all the time, and it very rarely goes off. But, uh, you know, I have taken some, some good vacation days where I haven't had to mess around with work. So it's, it's getting a lot better. Now, Chris, I know that with four kids, you're at least home sometimes. I am. Uh, you know, I, I do. And, and uh, you know, I fortunately now, you know, we have set it up where, uh, you know, I'm not spending nearly as much time at work as I used to. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they still there are still many nights where in the middle of dinner, I, my phone rings and I have to get up and I leave and I don't come back till after they go to bed. And, you know, I'm on, on Skype saying goodnight to my daughter. So, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, that that happens. That still happens a lot. But. Uh, you know, I think a, a big key here uh, that I really have to give credit to is my wife, who, who is very much, you know, after so many years, she's used to that. And, you know, some uh, younger engineers, uh, you know, newly married and stuff, they're in these relationships. And sometimes either, you know, man or, or female engineers with their husbands, uh, you know, it's, it's a commitment. It, it really is your life. And you're going to miss things like birthdays and you're going to miss things like family gatherings. And you're going to get phone calls in the middle of the night from strange people saying you have to run. And, you know, she's very understanding. She understands that's my job and, and that's, that's what I do. And has never questioned it, never gotten worked up about it, never gotten upset about it. And, you know, she's like, you, you got to do what you got to do. So I think uh, having the support of the people around you makes, uh, it makes all the difference in the world, too. I want to uh, ask Tom in just a minute, but Marcus, um, see, Chris just, just mentioned something uh, there. He used the word delegate. And uh, a lot of engineers, certainly not all, are, are in a position where they could delegate. And, and uh, Chris even said that he asked his employer, he said, I, I need help. You got me doing too many things here, and I'm, I'm burning out. So they did get uh, get get Chris some help. I've, I've met his help. <laughs> but being able to let go and delegate and say, you know what? 
you guys got this. I'm going to I'm going to switch off for a little while and, and trust that to happen. Marcus, how how do you think you can get to that point where you can where you can delegate when you've been used to handling everything yourself? Well, I'm actually going through that right now. We've for the past 6 or 7 years, I have been a department of one and um now we've just brought another guy on who is very knowledgeable. He's not a, a radio engineer per se. He's very strong in IT, but he is learning so much and I'm able to go, okay, you handle this um, and I'll take this and we're just dividing the work up. And um, I'm again, learning a home life again. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> just, it, it, it's having that other person there really has helped an enormous amount. I mean, you can ask my wife and she is so thankful that he's there and so happy that I finally have another person there to help out. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is, it, you know what the tough thing I found is, is, is after, you know, for, well, I, you know, before I hired my help, I'd been there seven years. Uh, it's really tough to let that go, you know, because the first thing you think of is, Wow, they don't need me as much as I thought. Isn't that tough to take? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I was the guy doing everything, and I don't need to be here. And the place still runs, is you know. And and you have to be, you have to have some self confidence too, uh, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to delegate that. He'll probably do a much better job than I will, but that's okay. You know, I mean, that's that's good. You, I hired a smart person, and. And, you know, to be able to do that and, and have the confidence to know that, yeah, just because that guy is better at doing that than you are, doesn't mean that they don't need you anymore. You also have oh. the, uh, the rationalization of, of, well, I can do it better because I, I know where all the skeletons are buried. I, I know where that relay is. I, I, I know that that connection always gets a little flaky and I just got to go in there and clean it, you know. That's a, that's a great way to rationalize being needed. Or, or even to the point of, you know, I want it to be done this certain way, you know, I trust the other person, but I want to know how it's done and make sure it's done the right way. Um, but even then, you, know, you got to let go sometimes and trust the other person to do it. Tom, yeah. you're in a situation there in New York City at WOR where you've got to trust other people. Heck, you, you, your commute is pretty far. You're uh, you're a good way from the transmitter site. Yeah, I'm about an hour and 15 away from the transmitter site, and depending on traffic, it could get up to about two hours to get into the city. And uh, you, you know, but there are certain you know, there are certain things around WOR that I've just got to, that Tom's got to do. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm the transmitter guy. Um, but I have people at the studio. I have people who do IT. Um, Tom just waved his hand. I was asked. And yes, it looks like I'm uh, breaking up a little bit on the, on the screen. But that's okay. Um, but, but yeah, no. And, and you know, unfortunately, uh, fortunately and unfortunately in New York City, uh, it's such a high pressure environment because well, let's face it, we're the number one market in the country. Um, every station counts. Uh, you know, there are, there are some markets where, yeah, everything counts, but it's not real hot and heavy. But I mean, if we lose, you know, even a little bit of revenue, I mean, we're, we've lost a lot. So uh, uh, you have to have good people. You have to trust them. And you have to, uh, you, you know, there, and there are certain things that some people are better at than others. And you have to, you have to kind of weigh everybody's strengths and weaknesses and get them all to, um, you know, get all together and make it all, come, make, make it all work. 
Guys, we've got to take a uh, break right now and uh, hear from one of our sponsors making the show possible. We're going to continue uh, our show with uh, Marcus O'Rourke, who's our guest. Also, uh, Chris Tarr and Tom Ray, who are regular co-hosts on the show. You're uh, listening to or watching uh, This Week in Radio Tech, number 85. And as soon as we get finished telling you about our sponsor, Trim Tonic, I've got what, what I hope is a treat for you, is a treat for me to put the thing together. Uh, it is an interview with Simon Jackson, who is, uh, has been on this show before, he has been in Kabul, Afghanistan, and um, he's been building a radio station there. Well, we've got an interview with him along with pictures of uh, the new facilities and some of what he's had to go through to get equipment into Kabul, Afghanistan from the Bagram uh, Air Base. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Stick around. I don't want you to miss any of that. But right now, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Trim Tonic. Trim Tonic is a natural appetite suppressant tonic. It does take the edge off of being hungry. And what makes Trim Tonic unique is that they use no stimulants to get this effect. There's no caffeine. Uh, there's no, none of that funky hoodia stuff in there. Instead, they use eight active ingredients, some of which have clinical studies that actually show their ability to curb your appetite and reduce body fat. You know, that's a big part of, of losing weight and getting in shape is, is reducing your portions or eating less frequently or eating smaller more frequently. And so um, uh, being able to reduce your appetite and, and curb, those, curb those hunger pangs uh, can help be part of a, uh, of a whole program to, to lose weight and get yourself in better shape. Uh, there are three main ingredients, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them. You can, you can go to their website and check it out. Uh, you can go to trimtonic.com. That's T-R-I-M. T-O-N-I-Q.com, or they have a, a sister site. It's under one company. There's another site called Braintonic.com, B-R-A-I-N-T-O-N-I-Q.com, Braintonic.com. If you uh, are interested in their products, and I hope you will be, uh, you can enter the coupon code TWIT, not TWIRT, enter TWIT, this network, TWIT, T-W-I-T, and get a 20% discount. That's significant. You know, buy four, get five kind of thing. Um, and uh, 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 so check it out at um, trimtonic or braintonic.com. It really, really works. It'll make you, make you not so hungry, make you eat less, and make you snack less, too. That's where a lot of those calories sneak in, having that, uh, having that bowl of cereal at 11 o'clock at night before you go to bed or having those extra calories before you get into your, your good meal. Check it out, trimtonic.com. We thank them for being a sponsor of this week in Radio Tech. All right, if uh, my talented uh, producer back at the Twit Network is ready, I'm going to show you a video that I uh, uh, produced over the, the, this last weekend. And uh, it's a, the interview with uh, Simon Jackson. He is in Kabul, Afghanistan. Let's just go ahead and roll it, and we'll talk about it when it's done. Go right ahead. With uh, Simon Jackson. Simon, you may remember, was a guest of ours on This Week in Radio Tech, live from the NAB show. Uh, he and a, uh, one of his cohorts, uh, Igor Zakina, was on that episode with us. Well, Simon has now found himself in. Uh... Simon, are you in Afghanistan? Yeah, I am. I'm Kurt Kabul. Wow. Hey, uh, uh, good, uh, good afternoon or good evening to you. Tell us uh, a, a bit about why you're there and, and, and what you're doing there in, uh, in the name of radio. Well, we're, we're here for a project that's actually a USAID project. Um, they are doing talkback radio in Pashtun, and Pashtun is one of the, the languages. Um, Dari is the other one. The aim is to actually have talkback radio on Arakosia FM, 
across across Afghanistan or the northern parts of Afghanistan. So there are going to be nine transmission sites out of um, brand new Axia Studios, which we're building for Moby Media. And um, it's a bizarre situation to find a you know a company from New Zealand coming and doing uh, an installation in Kabul, Afghanistan for USAID. It's it's very strange, but um, here we are. You know, I've, Simon, uh, I've, I've known you for a while, and I, I guess I'm not surprised at the situation. But you didn't send any of your, uh, uh, you know, your your technical employees there to to do this installation. Uh, you sent yourself. What's that about? Yeah, myself. Well, it's I. I to be fair, someone else came with me. Um, Rob, Rob Harling, and actually he was also at the, uh, on uh, this week in uh, Radio Tech. Yes, he was. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, Rob's come with us as well. So it's um, I'm here to sort of hold the tools, really. He's doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> okay. And, and and I'm I'm here just to sort of keep him company. And um, oh, it, it was it was strange actually finding staff who were willing to come was really hard. I don't know. I don't understand why. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> apparently, apparently it's a great place for a holiday, Kabul. <laughs> Tell me about that in just a minute. We're gonna, in a few minutes. We're going to look at some uh, some studio pictures, uh, other pictures that you're providing. But tell me a little bit about the what you can. I, I know there's some things you can't say, but about arriving there and your security arrangements and and whatever you can tell us about building a radio station in a war zone. Well, it's re it's really interesting. Kabul Kabul's actually relatively safe compared to the rest of Afghanistan hmm. or specific space places in Afghanistan anyway. Um, but still, I mean, you know, you get you, you arrive at the airport and and they're just there are guns everywhere. I mean, it's amazing, and you get picked up. And um, the guy who picked us up was one of the security agents for or, um, security um, workers, and uh, the, the, the paid private security guards um, okay. for um, the group that we're working for. And he's a British guy. He's an ex-paratrooper, and all his team are ex-paratroopers. And um, we we go to these armoured vehicles, and these and these they look like you know Toyota V8, Toyota sort of um, SUVs. Hmm. Until you try to open the door, and you realise this door is you know it's, it's about six inches thick <laughs> and heavy. <laughs> and 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 there's a reason this thing's a V8 because this thing just weighs a ton. It is it is a box inside a sort of a shell that looks a bit like a you know a Toyota. Hmm. And um, and and they they stop and they tell you what happens if if someone starts shooting at you and how they'll help you get from the car and they'll keep going if they can and you know and it's all these things to put your mind at rest really and make ah. you feel comfortable and safe and Jeez. and and then and then they pull up to the to the exit to the airport and they go and collect their guns and there are a lot of them <laughs> you know these guys are all very heavily armed and uh, you know and they and. There are certain roads they won't take because they're they're unsafe, and mm. and uh, you find your way to the compound, and they sit you down, and you have another half hour security briefing, and you know everyone else got got issued. Um, the the people we arrived with were um, workers or who were staying quite a long time, and they were all issued body armor, but we weren't because we we're only here for a short period of time. No, so that's that's nice. So um, we felt special. <laughs> So, so you're, you're taken to a uh, to a, a house, a hotel, uh, an office. What? Well, well, you know, the, the the first thing we did is we went to the place we're staying, and, and it's a place called Ganimac Lodge. 
and the strange thing is that that you know you you come in through sort of double metal gates and into this sort of space that it's an airlock type space big enough to hold a couple of vehicles and then there's another vehicle entrance and, and another double door airlock sort of um, pedestrian entrance and, and mm. guys with AK-47s everywhere. And uh, you step into the in a compound and there's this, this old villa hotel. It's got about 20 rooms. It's an amazing garden with fountain in the middle and, and it's got a bar downstairs and it's a restaurant and and you think, my goodness me, <laughs> this, is, this is surreal. <laughs> And uh, and then you walk in the front door and this guy's got about, I don't know, 30 or 40 guns sort of in gun cases along the along the front, uh, you know, the entrance to the to the hotel. He's got a he's got a German MG32 and he's got a Maxim machine gun and and just a whole lot of, you know, rifles from that he's collected inside Afghanistan. Gee. Sort of um very strange. They've got they got a rule though, you can only have sidearms in the uh, in the dining room. You can't have long guns, ah, which is well, fair enough. I yeah, think that's reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> makes for a nicer dinner, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So, g give us a sense. Uh, I know we haven't, we don't have as much time as we'd probably like to talk to you. Give us a sense of, of building sure. a studio or any of the. Are you doing transmitter sites too, or studios, or what's what's your well, mission? Yeah, we we drew the line that you're doing the transmission sites. Another another contractor who is is going to actually be installing the transmission equipment we've supplied, but we're doing sort of acceptance here in Afghanistan. So we're mm -hmm. setting up racks of equipment. Um, the big challenge is really, you know, we've we we walked into a what was supposed to be an empty space that we could then install, you know, an A and B studio and three production booths and and a you know mass control room. Mm -hmm. And to find there was kind of a, a kind of a working radio station there already. Hmm. They were using sort of little Behringer mixes and sort of you know SM58 mics and and a you know fairly cobbled together arrangement. But they were on air, and we have we've had to work around them, which has been very interesting. Huh? And uh, <laughs> they must be a bit jealous. Uh, you're putting in the brand new IP audio mixing well, gear. <laughs> They've got a Behringer mixer. Yeah. Well, that's right. They they were they were. Um, they they are the they are the beneficiaries. So they are the ones that this this radio station is, uh, has started already, and they are going to be moving into these new studios. Oh well, they they can't be too upset then. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was it's strange because they they sort of. Uh, they were sort of weren't really expecting us. They didn't know we were coming. So, <laughs> okay. literally, you know, just just container load full of equipments arrived, and and sort of uh, we're trying to sort of fit it around them, hmm. and. Um, there's a pile of rubbish outside that's huge, but but everything you need you have to bring with you because you just can't find anything here. But um, the the great thing has been the, the the local technicians. I mean, Moby is quite a big organisation, but you know mm. they've got um, these engineers. They they what they lack in experience, they they really make up for an effort, and uh, they're pretty keen. But uh, it, it's it, the whole experience has been like waiting for molasses. You know, you just feel it's taken so long to do everything. <laughs> so th when you when you build these studios, the, 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 you said they'd be doing talkback. Uh, and now you know, here well, in, the, yeah. in, in the U.S., I think we call that what talk radio with with callers. Talk radio, yeah. Talk radio, yeah. Your they'll, local Taliban man telling you what he thinks. About the, 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 so they'll be so. taking phone calls from local residents there. <laughs> All comers, yeah. Wow. But, okay. but you know, it's have, a, have a nice positive dialogue and in a situation where you can't pull a gun and shoot each other. 
I think that's a good idea, really. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, talking about talkback, you know, we've just installed the new VX system here, and uh, we, we were setting the VSET-12s up on the desk, and, they, and the guys were coming through to us and, and, and saying, you know, um, or the manager saying through an interpreter, um, where does the SIM card go? <laughs> and we're saying, um, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean. We, it, it, it's a multi-line hybrid. You know, you could have up to 30 or 40 lines. It's, it's, um, and he goes and he looks and he nods and goes, yeah, okay, right. So, so where does the SIM card go? <laughs> and, I mean, and we're trying to work out what the hell is going on. What do you mean SIM card? And then, you know, what, what it is, is these, this, this is a country that's gone from, from no telecommunications to cellular with no copper infrastructure. Right. They, they, don't, they don't know a handset without a SIM card. Without a SIM card, wow! And and wow. what they do right now, which is even better, we you know we watch how they take calls to air, and they do it one of two ways. They either put the phone, the the cell phone, which people are calling in on, and I've only got one, you know, and uh, again next to it, and they put on speaker, and they put it next to the microphone, <laughs> and and to do background audio, they actually play a CD on a stereo in the room to do the sort of the, the background, the bed, that's their music bed. Oh, my goodness. And you've got on one, on one microphone, you've got the cell phone on speaker, and you've got the talent, and you've got in the background the, the CD player going. Oh. But what, what's interesting is that we're, we're about to go from that to, to you know, for element consoles and, and VX and, and sort of, you know, and we've got touch screens everywhere. So, um, <laughs> in actual fact, in the, in the producer booths, they actually, we haven't got any mixers. We're actually using these, these um, mini Pathfinder panels with with mixing panels, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And so they, they actually touch screen to actually move the faders, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my goodness! And and all the you know the what's been great is that the the techs and uh, even the the operators and DJs have been coming in in their spare time and and on their days off to just to, to watch what we're doing and to try to help because they're just so you know impressed with what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and more than a little scared because, you know, again, they still don't understand where the SIM card's going to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in, you've been working with Rob Harling. Now, he's an engineer, and, and uh, you, you're not, maybe not an engineer, but you kind of know how things go together. What, you said difficult-wise, what's been difficult is, is getting, you know, little parts here and there that you just thought you'd have on hand. What, what's, um. what has gone well, or what's gone according to plan? Well, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Everything sort of turned up, which was which was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, because in actual fact, the gear we made sure was here a week or so before us. Okay. Um, but on the way from from the um, Bagram Air Base, where um, the equipment was 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 actually brought into the country, um, there was a, a demonstration, and from the back of the truck, what, a, you know, a, a, a carton just disappeared. It, it fell off, and it was a three kVA UPS. Oh. So, and, you know, and so how, how you drop a 3 kVA UPS from the back of a truck, you can just imagine sort of what was going on. But, um, you know, so that was, that was scary that, you know, just how we were going to get a replacement. But actually, it turned out this company called Mebs Global Reach, who, who did the transport for us, they just turned up with another one. It was really easy. <laughs> but the frustration has been really just as soon, if you want something and you haven't brought it with you, just count on losing a couple of days. Wow. The smallest of things, you know. Wow. So when, when do you expect to, uh, to have the studios finished? Well, we're hoping tomorrow, in actual fact, that we'll, we'll finally have them um, ready to go to air. We, and just in time for us to do essentially a couple of days of, of training. Mm -hmm. and, and then we're kind of going to let them loose. And, um, 
yeah, it's 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 going to be challenging for them, but it's just it's such a difference. I mean, we've got some pictures of what they started out with and what they have now, and it's just. Uh, <laughs> Well, once everything is installed and and you've left the site, will you have the ability to uh, get into their gear remotely with their permission so that you could maybe reconfigure something if, if you need to do that remotely? Yeah, well, I think this is the great thing. We, 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 the, the internet is very slow. I mean, it's very slow here, but still enough for us to be able to be able to reach in and to, you know, because every every device that we install essentially has a HTTP server in it. Sure, sure, yeah. And yeah, um, sure. and we can jump in and do that configuration. But also, we've been successful in using um, TeamViewer to actually control the computers. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. it, it, you have to just take your time, but yeah, it's been enough for us to. Um, to sort of be able to reach out and and you know I've been having a lot of help. Igor Zukina from who's currently in Fiji of all places is actually sort of reaching in remotely, like probably at the moment, and and tweaking things and and setting things up and um, doing config stuff for us. So essentially, although we've had a team on the ground, you know, a lot of it's actually been done from remote, which is pretty cool. Wow, wow, and and thank goodness. So, Simon, we got to sign off with you. Any, any last uh, comment about this this project that you've taken on, building uh, new studios in Kabul, Afghanistan, um, and doing as part of a USAID. Uh, uh, project, I believe you said, and 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 here you are, a New Zealand uh, company in Afghanistan, doing a, a project paid for by the U.S. Do I have that right? Well, I, I, look, I think I think it's interesting because you know, competitive tender, and you know, we we got the job, yeah, and um, I think. It was also because of the technology. I mean, but in the end, you know, it was an American company that we, you know, American technology we went with. But it, but it was interesting that that uh, you know it, it needed to be this sort of technology to actually work. Um, because anything else, traditional stuff, then without the ability to actually sort of remotely configure and manage uh, it, it would be really hard for these guys yeah. to cope. So yeah, it was a real point of difference. Simon. I appreciate you spending some time with us, especially so late at night from Kabul, Afghanistan. Thanks for uh, making the effort to be in touch with us here at Twert. No problem. That's our interview All with right. Simon Jackson of ABC <clears throat> on This Week in Radio Tech. Pretty cool. Guys, you got any, uh, any quick comments about that? That was awesome. That was Always. very cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, just very fascinating how they do that. And, and I think he's right. I love the comment at the end. It almost had to be this kind of equipment to work. And I think uh, he hit it right on because in those kind of conditions, you know, the last thing you need to be doing is spending time punching, uh, you know, 66 blocks or crone blocks under there, trying to get a you know, traditional thing built out. You know, you need to be, you know, you do it efficiently, quickly, and with the least hassle pro uh, possible. And that was a very good example of using modern technology to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, let me take a break real quick for our other sponsor, Axia. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk about AM field strength readings. You think that's a yawner? You try doing it. It's very exciting, I'll tell you what. Hey, our program is brought to you in part by Axia Audio. If you haven't gotten your uh, your catalog yet from, from Telos, not hard to do. Go to the website, uh, any of the Telos websites like axiaaudio.com. You could even go to omniaaudio.com or Telos dash systems.com or even the uh, we, we finally got around at telos to getting a an all-encompassing website it's telosalliance.com telosalliance.com you can go on the any of those websites you, you'll have to find the link but request your catalog and look you might just get to open up to what this page right here there you go 
There's Leo in front of his uh, Axia Element console, the very console that's running this show right now as we speak. Well, I've got good news for you. Uh, Axia is now shipping, finally. Axia is now shipping the IQ consoles, the ones we've been promising for months and months now. They're actually going out the door, um, and we're going to be fulfilling a ton of orders this month. And This means that, that uh, radio stations and podcasters and other broadcasters around the world are getting their IQ consoles for under $8,000, a complete IP audio console with plenty of analog and AES ins and outs and on the back. Microphone inputs, mic preamps built in, an Ethernet switch built right in to the console mainframe or to the part that goes into the rack. So you can plug in other Axia things to it or plug in a, a phone, one of our VX phones that uses power over Ethernet. Um, plug in all kinds of stuff. Plug it into other studios. Plug it into five studios and have a, have a core switch that connects them all together with the uh, Axia IQ system and soon to come along the Axia Radius system under $6,000 for an eight-fader console. If you saw the IQ console at the uh, NAB show, you probably were impressed. We had a uh, like a 24-fader uh, IQ console there because you can bolt on to the sides. You can bolt on uh, more faders if you like. And um, uh, it was quite impressive. That console, under $12,000 for 24 faders, uh, U.S. dollars. So check with your uh, local dealer. Go to the website, axiaaudio.com, and uh, see who your local dealer is, no matter what country you are viewing or listening from. I'm really proud to be associated with the guys at, uh, at Axia Audio. Incredible tech uh, they're doing uh, at, at Axia uh, with uh, unbuffered live audio over Ethernet. Uh, it's not compressed either. It's all linear audio, and it happens so fast that you can talk in the mic and listen through the headphones and not hear any delay on an Axia system. Pretty cool. And thank Axia for being a sponsor of This Week in Radio Tech. All right, guys. I think our next subject is AM field readings. And uh, Mr. Tarr, you're going to take uh, take hold of this segment of the show, and we're just going to uh, sit back and, and razz you. Right <laughs> Fabulous. Ahead. Hey, why is that anything? <laughs> uh, actually, how this came about was uh, I had posted a picture of, of Tony taking our field strength measurements a couple of days ago, and Kirk said, you need to talk about this on tour. So here it is. We're going to lay it all out. When you have a, a directional AM radio station, what a directional AM is, is an AM radio station with multiple towers where you create a certain signal pattern. So you want less signal in one area, more signal in another. You create what's called the directional AM pattern. Now, to do that, I won't get into the real technical details on how you make that happen, but the bottom line is, how do you know that that pattern is doing what it's supposed to do? How do you know that the signal is going over here where it's supposed to go and not going over here where it's not supposed to go? What you do is, at least every quarter and more frequently if you have issues, is you take what are called monitor point readings. And what you do is there's a piece of equipment called a field intensity meter, and you go out and you take these, they're, they're, you, you have radials that come out just imaginary lines that come out from your tower site in different cardinal directions and you go out you know several miles out and what you do is you go to the to certain points along those lines and you measure how much audio or how much rf signal you're getting in those various areas and how you do that is you use this field intensity meter it's a very sensitive am radio there's a picture of it right there that's a very common potomac instruments meter and unfortunately, I had a video, I didn't get a chance to edit it up, of how you actually use this meter. But what you do is you go out and, and you file with the FCC when you build these directional systems. You file certain geographical locations with the FCC where you monitor your signal. And the reason you do that is you, you find places where you set up these monitor points. And you can do a very consistent uh, year after year after year measurement. 
So, for example, if uh, you know your signal is uh, 10 microvolts per meter at this one spot, that should be what it is every year, if you know every quarter when you go to take these measurements. And that's how you know that your your directional system is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now, how you come up with those points, I won't go into the scope of that. But essentially, you know, when you design the system and you create these lines and you you find where your nulls are supposed to be in your signal, where the you know the areas where the signal should be the weakest, uh, you know, you 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 take all these measurements and that's what gets filed with the FCC. And those are the numbers that they use to verify that your signal is going where it's supposed to be going. So every quarter we go out and we take these measurements. Sometimes it's by a fire hydrant. Sometimes it's, you know, one is in the middle of a, of a cul-de-sac and you go out with this antenna monitor and you measure the signal strength of, of your signal, both in, you know, both if you have a day pattern, night pattern, um, whatever it is. But essentially these, these, these are filed with the FCC and that's when you know if your signal is in or out. And that's where it becomes fun. For example, if you go to a monitor point and the you know, the signal the signal's always measured in a in a measurement not to exceed. So for example, uh, you know, on your license it'll say monitor point number two. You know, from the radio station go two kilometers to Smith Road, turn right, uh, you know, up three quarter you know, three quarters of a kilometer to the front of thirty seven oh two Smith Drive. The you know, the field strength at this point should be twenty five microvolts a meter. Well what that means is that the measurement should not exceed that amount at that spot where the fun comes in is if for some reason it does exceed that that means that there's something wrong with your directional array and that's when you go out and you make some adjustments and you try to figure out what the problem is so essentially what that is it's a it's a good way to measure the performance of your am array and again, you're you're required to do that every so often. Uh, in fact, I, I still believe the rules require if you have an AM station, a uh, directional station, you have to have one of these devices in order to to, to make sure that it's working. Uh, but you can get into things like, for example, uh, a few years ago, uh, about five or six years ago, uh, when I first took over in Milwaukee, our directional AM station there had one monitor point that was consistently out. It was consistently high, and we couldn't, you know, it was it was very, very high, and it was along the entire radial. So every point along that line, the, the signal was much more, much stronger than it was supposed to be. So mm. we hired an engineering firm to come in, and, and we decided at that point, after looking around, that this uh, the components in this antenna system hadn't been touched since it was built in the 60s. So he and I spent the summer rebuilding the entire system, the phasing cabinets, all the antenna units, and we went out and re-redid all of the, the monitor points to make them more accurate because these monitor points were also 40 years old. So, for example, where they said on the side of the road in a ditch was a school now. So, <laughs> you know, it's very hard to get consistent readings if you don't know exactly where these things are supposed to be. So we went out and we came up with some new monitor points. We used the GPS, so now we have GPS coordinates. So you know exactly the spot that you're supposed to be standing to take these measurements. And, uh, you know, with with the re-engineering of the antenna system, it's a lot more, uh, a lot more stable and we can reproduce those readings every time. And uh, so, you know, that's, you know, it's, a, it's a good tool to make sure that your signal's doing what it's supposed to be doing and not going where it's not supposed to be going. And uh, so it, it is, the one thing I enjoy about it, it's great on a nice summer day, you spend a few hours out just driving around and, and uh, you know, with the, with the monitor, 
taking your readings. I have uh, had some situations where people want to know what you're doing because you're standing out there with that big meter <laughs> yeah, in your with hands. That meter, I bet looks like it's some that kind meter, of and yeah. big old brown meter in your hand, and you're spinning around in circles taking readings, and you got a clipboard, you're writing things down, and uh, I, one person walked up to me and, and asked me one time, what, "What are you doing, sir?" And I explained, you know, well, I work for the radio station, and we're we're checking signals and. Great, because I don't get the radio station here, and it really drives me nuts. So could you do something about that? <laughs> so we've had that before, too. I'm sure we, we all have stories. Good, good, go ahead, Chris. A FIM, is, a FIM is really, you know, with a directional AM doing these monitor points, it's becoming a lost art, unfortunately. And, and again, uh, you just we, use the acronym FIM, and that stands for? Field Intensity Meter. Yes, and, and so that's, that's, that's a lot of syllables. So we engineers say a FIM. Right, and and that's the thing is it's it's interesting. A lot of uh, a lot of the new guys coming into the field have never been out doing that, you know, and, and haven't had experience going out with a FIM. And, and that was the picture I showed the other day. Uh, I was uh, teaching Tony from for a, a couple of years. You know, he'd ride along with me and take notes and stuff. And you know, I I, I always like doing it. So I was again dele delegating. Uh, you know, so I always hit myself. He's like, this time you have to let me do it. I have to learn how to do it. Like you're right, you're right. I have to let you do it. So. You know, that's that's what we did is I went out and I showed them how because there is a trick to it. You know, the the antenna on the fim is very directional and part of the, the of taking the reading is turning the, the the fim around until you get the strongest signal and that's what you measure. And there's a very definite null because the receive antenna is very directional. So it only yeah. receives you know, the strongest signal in a certain direction. And as part of that reading, you have to turn until you get the maximum reading and there's a calibration procedure you do before you take the readings. So it, it's not a, it is, there is some, some art to, to doing that and getting accurate readings. And I should point out that these uh, these FIMS, field intensity meters, uh, they're calibrated and their calibration is traceable back to, uh, the, you know, the what used to be the National Bureau of Standards, what's the National Institute of Standards and Technology now, or Science and Technology. So, uh, and the, inside them, they have a, a calibration oscillator that uh, that lets you indeed check the calibration of, of the box. There's something that's interesting, I think, about taking these, re a lot of interesting things, and we could do several shows on this subject. Uh, and by the way, these are the the... the Measurements you're talking about are for AM, although they make similar Correct. devices for FM. But generally, we don't we don't use them for FM unless we're trying to find some other problems. But um, one thing interesting, you mentioned that you have to align the meter for the maximum signal, and if you turn mm -hmm. it 90 degrees for the minimum signal, you should have at least uh, 10 decibels less signal at that point. And if you don't have 10 decibels less signal, or 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 more than that, uh, less than your peak. That that's a pretty good indication that the that the monitor point may not be good. There may be some source of re radiation that's local to you. You might look overhead and see, oh, there's power lines right over there. Right. Well, and and, and that's the that that's the other important reason why over the years you you do these field intensity meters because things change. Cell phone towers go up, power lines go yeah. up, uh, new buildings pop up, and these things can all re radiate your signal. And uh, you know, so those monitor points may be way out, and it may be due to re radiation. And like you said, that's the nice thing about the directionality of the meters is you can tell if you're just surrounded by signal, there's a very good chance that there's something nearby that's re-radiating, and that's going to cause issues not only local, you know, not only in, in the local area of the interference, but it could, if it's a big enough structure, cause skywave interference as well. And if, if that re-radiation point is in a major lobe of the 
uh, at the AM directional uh, station. Let's say that the AM directional is supposed to be putting uh, a, a most of its power uh, over a town, and let's say that town is to the north of, of, the, of the transmitter. And it's not supposed to put any signal to, let's say, the east and the west, due east and due west. We have a, a minima at those points. Well, if there's some new tower in the major lobe, let's say a new cell tower, that is tall enough to uh, act like a resonator, it re-radiates that signal. If it's in a strong major lobe, it can re-radiate signal toward the areas that you're supposed to have minima. And that way, uh, you, you'll exceed the power allowed at your at your monitor point. And by the way, you know, those monitor points, that's just, that is a quick and dirty way, or it's required, uh, to see if I'm, to assume, if I'm not putting out more than X amount of power at this location, then I can assume I'm not interfering with the radio station 800 miles away that I'm not supposed right. to interfere with. And, that's and there's a whole, there's a whole, yeah, and there's a whole process if, if you want to verify that, because remember that that's just a point on a line. And uh, again, that line, there's, there's a total on that radial, uh, of, on that line of, of all these points that you measure, and a total in that direction that you can't exceed. That's just one point on a line. So, for example, you may, you know, in troubleshooting, you may, your point may be high there, but go to the others. And it may be that those are low enough where in total you're still below for that, for that line, uh, you know, below the maximum amount of RF in that direction. So it is a fantastic tool uh, in terms of troubleshooting and, and making sure that things are okay. Uh, and not only that, sometimes, you know, there's a situation where maybe your, your, your uh, antenna is tuned, your antenna system is tuned a little too tight and maybe you don't have enough power going in that direction and you can loosen it up a little bit because of a change or, or something like that. So not only can it help you, you know, keep things down to where they should be, but sometimes you find a situation where they're consistently low and you know, you know what, I can make some changes here and get our signal a little better in that direction. We've got to do a whole episode on, on this subject, especially maybe a War Stories episode where we can <laughs> tell about taking field strength readings. Hey, there's, yeah, I was going to ask Marcus, uh, what, what, what do you have there? Uh, this is my FIM. It's the, what, the 41, where it only does uh, the broadcast range, but it looks well, cool, the, too. I thought that was a, the 21, but okay, it could be the 41. Is that the 21? Yeah. I'm not sure. Those things are kind of expensive yeah, nowadays, aren't, aren't they? On the order of uh, yeah, five, five grand or more for the uh, for, for the simpler one and seven or well, eight. You can't or nine. Even, I don't think you can buy those anymore. Potomac doesn't make those; they they sell digital ones now. Oh, the digital right. ones. What about ten grand? Someplace yeah, in that and, ballpark. And, and, and by the way, good luck getting those calibrated in a hurry. It's it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Now you you can you know if you've got several several people out making fill strength readings, you can calibrate them against each other to make sure that that they're all. They're all matching. In fact, I, I, I had two of those units when I was in doing contract engineering full-time, and on one of them, the calibrator didn't work. So I always took both of them with me, and I would calibrate the first one, and, but it was, it was kind of older and, and more rickety, but the calibration worked. And then I would take the, the newer one, which it was great, except the calibrator didn't work, and I would just calibrate it to be exactly the same field strength at that exact same point, and then I considered to calibrate it. When you're actually, you know, filing anything with the FCC, good luck using that as the the calibration standard on your uh, on your application. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I thought people did that. I thought that was a standard. And in fact, when I, I mean, thought that, when no, those... that, that is for for quick and dirty. But you really oh. are supposed to produce the the you know when it was calibrated, and and you know by Potomac and certified as being gotcha. calibrated. And you're supposed to. I, I believe they they recommend that you do that every three to five years. Although I know I have used FIMS that hadn't been calibrated in in, in twenty years. Oh, I think oh, yeah. they're, I, you know, they're usually, you know, reliable enough where that's really not 
you know, that's not the case. But we're, when you're, you know, when you are dealing with with AM directionals, especially if you're building them, it's probably yeah. a good idea to make sure that you know your well, your calibration's dead on. So, so, Tom, how many fill strength meters do you guys have at WOR? Actually, we have two, um, but we only have three monitor points for the directional uh, we have. And, uh, you know, Chris had mentioned before about uh, re-radiating structures and a building goes up. Um, it's a lot of fun doing measurements uh, through the center of Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? Uh, carefully. No, no with, with the old uh, WOR array, um, when I first started at WOR, we had to retune, uh, well, we, we broadbanded the array, we changed some of the tuning networks, uh, so we had to go out and we had to proof it. Um, went through Manhattan, and there was this one corner, I believe it was on the corner, I think it was 11th, uh, it, was, it was 11th Avenue, I forget, forget what, the, uh, what the street was. Uh, but we went, I, I went over there, I took the field strength meter, and let's make believe this is a field strength meter. And the transmitter was over here. So I aimed it at the transmitter, and I got a reading. And I went to calibrate it, so I turned it 90 degrees off. And I had the same reading. And oh. I stood there in the, middle, in the middle of the intersection. I uh -huh. stood there and did a 360. Yeah. The meter didn't move. However, this was a place on the proof. I had to, I had to take it, and it was reading exactly what it what it was supposed to according to the paperwork so apparently that's where somebody <laughs> measured it years ago and it had never changed um and, and chris had also mentioned the uh uh people wanting to know what he did uh at one point we had a monitor point change and one thing we should mention that if a monitor point uh, value changes if, if it's out of tolerance uh or if it goes way low you take a look around in this case there was a bridge the state was working on that was adjacent to the monitor point and they had it all covered and they had extra steel and cranes and stuff around um and what, if you have a monitor point out, you don't panic. What you do is you actually go out and you run one of these invisible lines Chris was talking about. You run the radial. And you do what's called a partial proof from the radial. And you compare all these readings, with the exception of that monitor point, and see if you're in. And in this case, it was. And I said, okay, well, I'll file with the commission to get a temporary monitor point until the state's through. So I found this uh, one place. We went out and measured and I must have been back there three or four times because I was making adjustments on the phaser and coming back to see if it was acting the way it was supposed to act. And finally, this guy comes out. And now I'm standing in the middle of the street. I'm nowhere right. near him. And he looks at me, and he's, what are you doing? I told him, gave my business card, get the hell out of here. I said, oh, sorry, but you know, I'm, I'm doing these measurements. And uh, he says, well, I'm going to call the cops. And I said, eh, knock yourself out. So, you know, two minutes later, cop shows up, and I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm taking a reading, and the officer says, what you doing? I said, oh, I'm from WOR, handed on my business card. Oh, gee, I listened to John Gambling in the morning, blah, 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 <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and we start shooting the bull, and I told him what I was doing and such, and he goes, I said, I'm on a public street. I said, what's the problem? He goes, I don't know. So the guy came out, and he looked at the guy. He said, what's the problem? He's, he's out here with a meter. I, I looked at the cop, and I said, you know, I bet you this guy's stealing cable and thinks I'm from the cable company. He went white as a sheet and disappeared into that house so fast, he left a dust cloud when he went in the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we got a million stories about that, and, and some of them are quite funny, and a few of them are, are pretty scary. Hey, Marcus, you've got a directional AM there in, uh, in California that you take care of, right? Or at least yeah, you do I'm some in uh, Bakersfield area. It covers all the way out to the coast. Oh, my goodness. So you, yeah. you, you have you you just take monitor points, or have you had to run a, a radial for a long distance? Well, no, we just have done monitor points. We haven't had to really do any radials yet. 
Well, you haven't lived. You, you, <laughs> oh, no, I, I do well, have disappearing I, monitor I, points, though. When I when uh, I when we did our uh, we redid our tuning and uh, and phaser and ATUs and stuff and redid uh, partial proof, I was August and I'm out in a swamp, you know, inhaling mosquitoes, taking readings. Always oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the mosquitoes. That's fun. The the dogs nipping at you. The people coming out of their house with shotguns. That's uh, that's fun. <laughs> And and I love the you you mentioned the monitor points and how they're described and you know the description of the monitor points becomes I guess legally part of the license and yeah. uh, and and the old ones are funny like uh, well you take this monitor point here next to this uh, uh, gray house where this old yellow dog lives <laughs> yeah yeah oh well, there was a lot of those again when we when we did we we did ours literally there was one it was like side of the road in the ditch or whatever and there's a you know this huge school there now there's no ditch the road's like four lanes now and you know they show this picture from 1958 or something with you know a picket fence and you know i was like is how do you figure out you know we just had to guess you know we're like okay well we think it's here at the fire hydrant in the parking lot you know it's all we can do Ten paces from the large tree Guys, once again, we are we are out of time. We've gone a little bit over our hour, and and poor Marcus O'Rourke, he has hardly gotten a word in edgewise, and and gave us some great advice at the beginning of the show, and we're gonna have to have Marcus back on again to uh, to tell us uh, uh, more about uh, balancing work and balancing home life because that that really is critical. Marcus, thank you very much for uh, putting up with us for an hour and giving us a little bit little bit of advice. Well, thank you for putting up with me for an hour. <laughs> we will have you back on, and I noticed uh, you've got your uh, ham call sign there, so you are an amateur radio operator. I am. I, I'm a tech, but I need to upgrade to general, at All least. Right. And if, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with uh, Marcus, he did say it's okay to put his email address uh, on his lower third, so there it is. M. Hey, you must nice be the short. IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> I run I mean, the email. No, nobody gets M. <laughs> nobody gets a single letter. Except the IT guy. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Marcus. Appreciate you being with us from uh, Santa Ana, California. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on, on again sometime, okay? Well, thank you again. All right. Uh, Chris Tarr from Muckawanago, Wisconsin. And where can we uh, where can we participate in engineering talk with you? Uh, Broadcastengineering.info is the site. And uh, it's the, the virtual engineer. All right. Thanks for being with us very much from Muckwanago, and go uh, spend some time with your family. Make that balance work. I'm on my way. <laughs> All right. And Tom Ray has uh, been with us, too, from the Hudson Valley of New York. Tom, thanks very much. Hey, thank you, Kirk. And I'd like to just tell Marcus that if you uh, are going to upgrade your license on the VE team captain for the Orange County Amateur Radio Club, and July 1st is when the general class question pool changes. So make sure you buy the right book. Don't buy the old book. Uh, if it's anything like the changes in the tech last year, it's going to be a heck of a lot more complex uh, uh, and a lot more technical than, it, uh, than the old book is. Well, when I get oh. to New York, I'll, uh, I'll look you up. Oh, Orange please. County, California. <laughs> I love it. Orange County Grand Amateur Radio Club in both places. Every time yep. uh, you do a Google search, you come up with you guys first or second. It's wonderful. And then Florida third. <laughs> yep. Hey, uh, guys, and uh, next week we've got uh, another guest on the show. It's uh, Bill Putney, and some of you know him as Navion in the chat room. Uh, Bill's a uh, pilot, and he's also um, uh, an engineer. He's just built a radio station in uh, Washington State. So we're going to be talking with uh, with Bill next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Thanks for joining us in the chat room. Appreciate you being with us uh, with us as well. You can always get the shows and uh, look at the show notes and get the audio or video, subscribe or watch live. If you 
just go to uh, twit.tv slash twirt. Twit.tv slash T-W-I-R-T and look for us there and all the other places that uh, we appear. We still have the website, thisweekinradiotech.com, where I still post links to the audio version of the show to keep it consistent for you folks who have been following us there for years. Thanks to Burke very much in the uh, Petaluma studio for switching the show tonight. Appreciate it very much. And we will see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.